I'm excited for our message today and what God is going to speak into our lives. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. If you've been here for the last, um, well, five weeks now, you know that we've been in the middle of a series on the book of First John, where we've been digging into this and, and studying this particular book of the Bible to see what God has for us, what he's trying to speak into our hearts and into our lives. And um, today we're, we're really just going to get right into our lesson. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I think God has a word for us. And so I'm looking forward to jumping into that. But before we do real quick, I wanted to just remind us of some of the things that we've talked about the last few weeks that are going to lead into today's lesson. And so two weeks ago, we talked about a really important concept that we see in scripture where we read that we are to abide in God. We read this over and over again, especially through the writings of John. And we talked a little bit about what that truly looks like, to, to abide in him. And what we learned is that that means that we are to remain in him. We are to dwell in him with everything that we have, that this is where we are to secure ourselves, that this is where our confidence ultimately comes from. And then when we abide, abide in him, what we learn is that he then abides in us, that he remains in us. He dwells in us, that this again is the confidence that we have, that we truly can say that God abides in each of his people. And then last week we talked about the concept of being children of God, that as he abides in us, that we can call ourselves his children. All of the amazing benefits, all of the amazing promises that come along with that. And we're going to see some of these concepts come up in our reading today. And I just want to make sure we understand again what John is talking about when he says these things. And so we're going to jump right into chapter three, starting in verse four. We're going to read um, from verse 4 all the way to verse 9. Then we're going to stop, we're going to say a word of prayer, and then we're going to unpack what John is trying to tell us. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and get those out now, and you can follow along with me starting in verse 4. This is what we read. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So we have plenty of content here that we need to dig into and ultimately unpack. But before we do that, why don't we say a quick word of prayer that he would open up our hearts and minds and speak to us exactly how he desires. So if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Please pray along. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you once again so much for your goodness, for your love, for your grace. Thank you for um, just your beautiful presence that you make known to us. And, and we're so glad that we have the opportunity to come together and worship you and, and lift you up and glorify you. We, we never want to take that for granted. We always want to give everything we have to that. So thank you for that opportunity today. And at this point, I pray that you would open up each one of our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today. Day. I know that you can meet each one of us exactly where we are. You can speak to each one of us in exactly the way that we need to receive it. And I pray that that work would be done for the good of your people and ultimately for the glory of your name. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So as I mentioned, as we read through these verses at this point in John's letter, we see quite a bit of really interesting content that we need to try our best to understand. Now, unfortunately, um, we don't have the time to go through every little principle and concept that he brings forth. And so let me just reiterate at this point, um, a big part of this series is that you are taking this stuff home with you and digging in throughout the week. Okay. I've told you from the beginning, don't don't just rely upon me each week. And I want you to take this home. I want you to study. I want you to dig in for yourself because God can and will speak to you through that. So please continue that work. But I do think that through this set of scriptures, John is trying to bring us to a certain place. I do think that he has a point here. And so that's what I want to primarily lean into this morning. And so as we read these scriptures, I believe that there are two particular subjects that John continues continues to bring to our attention over and over again. In fact, if you were to go back and reread this, you would see two things that he just continues to lay in front of us. And those two things are the concept of sin and the concept of righteousness. Over and over again, these are the two things that he continues to bring to our attention. And so what I want to do at the very beginning here is just spend a few minutes talking about each one of these concepts and what they ultimately mean and represent, okay? And so we're going to start with this concept of sin. Now, if you've been in the, the church context for any amount of time at all, um, or if you've read through scripture at all, then you've certainly seen this word before and have a general understanding of what it is. But as we read through the Bible, what we understand about sin is that this ultimately represents anything that is contrary to the will or the law of God. Okay? That, that's what sin ultimately represents. Anything that goes against or is contrary to his will or his law. Over and over again, we see that that's what this particular concept means, included in John's letter. If you noticed in verse four, he said this, sin is lawlessness. In other words, anything that violates the law of God should be considered sin. And so at least on the surface, this is the general understanding that we have of this particular concept called sin. And yet here's the thing about this topic. I do think that this comes about in ways that you and I don't often think about. And the reason I say that is because when we hear the word sin, what I think so often happens is we will immediately begin to think about these really specific thoughts and these really specific actions that we believe best represent this idea. 
So when we hear the word sin, our minds immediately go to things like lust and hatred and murder, these like really explicit things that we see in scripture. But sin goes well beyond these overt things that the Bible shows us. And in fact, there are two particular ways that sin comes about in our lives that might surprise us. A little bit. And in fact, that's kind of the nature of sin, that sometimes it creeps up in ways that, that we're not expecting. And one of the ways that this happens is through our, our motives and our intentions. Okay, and so let me explain what I mean when I when I say that. Last week I mentioned that God is always most interested in the heart. Right? Despite what we might think as we read through scripture, God is not as much concerned about the external as he is the internal. And in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Like, like that's what he's looking at. That's what he is concerned about. And when it comes to the heart, the truth of the matter is we, we often have some work to do in that area. We often see that we have some issues coming up when it comes to the heart. In fact, scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. That's what the heart is. It's, it's deceitful. In fact, the book of Proverbs says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. If, if that's where you're putting your trust, if that's where you're putting your hope, you, you are a fool. And so one of the ways that we see this come about in, in a, a way that we don't always recognize is by way of good actions that come from bad motives. So, so catch this, we can actually do good things and yet still be participating in sin if it's coming from a bad place. And in fact, we see this very clearly throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself says, you, you can give with the wrong motives. Like you can be generous and, and you can give to other people and, and still be coming from a bad place in your heart. Jesus says you can pray with the wrong motive, something that he urges us to do all the time. He says you can do that in the wrong way. He says you can serve with the wrong motives. And, and in fact, the apostle Paul goes so far as to say you can preach the gospel. You can preach the good news of Jesus Christ with the wrong motives. And so what we learn as we read these things is that we can do all of these seemingly good things, but if it's coming from a fraudulent heart or, or by way of bad motives, these things can still be considered sin in our lives. In other words, motives and intentions and the heart behind the things that we do does indeed matter. And this is how we can see sin creep in in ways that surprise us, okay? So that's the first way we see this come about. The second way that we see it come about in a bit of a surprising way is through disobedience, okay? So let me explain it this way. Again, when we think about sin, we think about these actions that we do that we would consider wrong. But what's interesting is the idea of sin in scripture is also represented when we don't do the things that we should do. So in other words, sin isn't just about what we do, it's also about what we don't do. And in fact, this is what it says in James 4, 17. It says, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it is sin. If, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do that, you forego that opportunity, that is considered Sin, And so let's talk about this for a second and see how that might apply to our lives. And so let me first ask the question, what are some of the things that God tells us 
to do? Just, just off the top of your head, what are some of the things that, that God commands us to do? And, and again, right off the top, we can think about things like love your neighbor as yourself. Um, he says to, to forgive others just as you've been forgiven. Uh, he says to seek first the kingdom of God, right? These are just some of the really overt things that Jesus commands us to do. And so catch this, when we don't do these things, this can also be considered sin, so, so that means that if you see somebody who is in need and you intentionally pass right by them without showing compassion and, and love for that person, that can be considered sin. That means when you refuse to forgive somebody and you hold on to, to anger and bitterness, that can be considered sin. When you place other things above the kingdom of God, that can also be considered sin. Any sort of disobedience to God, whether in doing or not doing, can fall under the category of this concept called sin. And so as John begins to lay out this huge concept in front of us, there are two particular things he's going to point us to that we need to be aware of. And the first thing that he's going to point us to is, is the fact that we are all guilty of this right? We're, we're all guilty of participating in sin. And especially when we break it down into these different categories, that becomes very much clear. But even John himself in chapter one said, if we say we have no sin, we're, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves if we think that is the case. In the book of Romans, it says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all guilty of this. And so the other thing that John is gonna point us to is that this is a very serious matter. Just because we've all been guilty of this doesn't mean that we should then take it lightly. This is very serious, I said this a few weeks ago, but it's so true. As we read through this letter, we're gonna see that John never treats sin with apathy or indifference. He is never casual when speaking on this subject. And in fact, even in our reading today, we very much see this. Let me remind you of some of the things that he showed us. He says, no one who practices sin knows God. Nobody who practices this concept knows God. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about what it means to truly know God, right? This, this intimate relationship with him, that we would truly know who he is. And John says, if you're practicing sin, you don't truly know God. This is a serious, serious thing. Here's another thing that he says. While righteousness makes us resemble Christ, sin makes us resemble the devil, I think about how serious that is. Just as a child resembles their father, so we resemble the devil when we walk in or we practice sin. That's how serious this is. But maybe the most serious sign of sin is something that John says here earlier in this set of scriptures. He says, Christ appeared to take away sins. Christ appeared to take this away. Now, what does that mean? Maybe you've never thought about it this way. That means that Jesus saw sin to be so serious, that he saw sin to be so damaging to his people, that he humbled himself, was made in the likeness of men, and died a brutal, horrific death on a cross to redeem us from it. Jesus put his very life on the line in the most brutal of ways to overcome, or as John says, to destroy this concept of sin. 
And so if anything points us to just how serious this is, if anything points us to the fact that we should not be casual about this, all we have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is look at the price that was paid to ultimately overcome this. John's gonna say, listen, this is a serious matter and we need to be aware of it, okay? Now, if we hit the pause button on that for a second, let's go to the other side of the spectrum and let's talk about this idea of righteousness, okay? And again, as we read through scripture, what we understand is that this ultimately represents anything that is in agreement with God's standards, okay? So while sin is anything contrary to the will or law of God, righteousness is anything that is in agreement with his standards. So we see that these are very much in opposition to one another. And much like the concept of sin, righteousness is another one of those things that goes much deeper than we think it does on the surface. This is one of these words that we read in scripture and we just kind of go right past it and don't really realize what it ultimately means. And so there are a couple of ways that I think we can address this. And the first thing that we need to understand is that righteousness goes well beyond the idea of knowledge, okay? Righteousness goes way beyond head knowledge. We are not righteous because we know the difference between right and wrong. That does not make us righteous. And in fact, you could know every single command of Jesus Christ off the top of your head, but if that's where it stops, then what have you really accomplished, right? This goes way beyond the idea of knowledge, but it also goes beyond emotions, Okay? We, we are not righteous because we have a feeling of excitement or even a feeling of strength or power. That's, that's not what righteousness is. In fact, this is something to maybe ponder at times, but we are not Christians because we feel deeply or because we have our emotions stirred within us. That doesn't make us Christians. Now, that might be part of the journey, and in fact, hopefully it is, but that's not what makes us who we are. It goes beyond emotions. It goes beyond feelings. It goes beyond knowledge. And so what is righteousness? Well, it's actually the convergence of all of those things. It's, it's when all of these things come together so beautifully that we can live a life of righteousness. If you're taking notes, write this down. Righteousness is a knowledge of truth that leads to a conformity of truth, okay? It's, it's both of those things. It's, it's knowledge and lifestyle. It's knowing and feeling. It's all of these things coming together in our daily lives. In fact, um, when talking about the distinctions and, and the convergence of these things, this is what Alexander McLaren says so beautifully. This is an awesome perspective. He says, I wonder how many of us there are who sing hymns which breathe aspirations and wishes that our whole daily life contradicts. And I wonder how many of us there are who seem to be joining in prayers that we never expect to have answered and would be very much astonished if the answers came. Watch his conclusion. Creed is necessary. Emotion is necessary. Worship is necessary. But that on which these three all converge and for which they are is daily life, plain, practical righteousness. Righteousness is when all of these things come together in our daily lives. That's what it looks like to practice righteousness. And just as John shows us that sin is a serious matter, he's also gonna say the same about righteousness. In other words, this does matter. This is important and we need to be aware of it as children of God, okay? 
Now, once he kind of lays out these different concepts and separates the two, he's going to bring them together in a really interesting way. And in fact, we have to call out that there's an important distinction in John's language when he speaks on both of these topics. This is very important for us to understand. And that is every time that he talks about the idea of sin, Every time he talks about the idea of righteousness, he's speaking of it in terms of actively practicing or walking in these things. This this is so important to understand because John is not referencing a single act of sin or, or a single act of righteousness. He's talking about a lifestyle that is wrapped up in these things. In other words, is the ruling principle of your life sin or is it righteousness? That's what he is driving at. And and that's important to call out for a few different reasons. And the first is simply this, to show us that a single act or a single moment in our lives does not make us who we are. One single thing doesn't define who we are. And that's important to, to be reminded of sometimes, right? I mean, we are so hard on ourselves. One mistake and, and we put ourselves in the gutter, right? We have to be reminded that does not make us who we are. The importance lies in the lifestyle. What are you actively practicing? What are you actively walking in? This is what John says ultimately matters. But here's the other reason we need to call out this distinction. And this is even more important, especially if we're going to rightly understand these scriptures, because John does make a few very interesting references to sin here that we need to understand and clarify. So I want to read these two for you, and then I want to stop and talk about exactly what he means. Let's go to chapter three, verse six. He says this, no one who abides in him sins. No one who abides in God sins. Verse nine, he says this, his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now that is a big statement. He cannot sin because he is born of God. Now here's the thing. There are some people who might read these scriptures and think that John here is supporting what some people would call a doctrine of perfection. In other words, once you are truly born again, or as John says, once you are truly born of God, that means that you never sin again. You go on to live a perfectly righteous life from here on out. That's what a doctrine of perfection would say. But again, here's the thing. Within the context of these scriptures, he is never talking about a single act or a single moment. He's always talking about a lifestyle. In other words, he's not calling out a solitary act of sin. He's calling out an ongoing perpetual life of sin. That's what he's talking about. And that's so important for us to understand because yes, as children of God, our lives should be marked by righteousness. That should be the ruling principle of our lives. But that doesn't mean that we walk in perfection. That that doesn't mean that that's now the expectation for us. Anything that we do that is not conformed to the will and law of God is still considered sin. That's a fact. But the question is, what do we do with that sin? How exactly are we to, to look at this and approach this as children of God? And as it relates to this idea John makes a really interesting comment later on in this letter. This is chapter five, verse 17. He says this, all unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. 
So let's talk about exactly what he is driving at when he says this. He starts by saying, all unrighteousness is sin. Again, this lines up with everything that we've said, right? Anything that goes against his law or his will should be considered sin. But then he says, there is sin not leading to death. What in the world is John talking about? And so let me answer this by going to Romans chapter six. And we're gonna read through a couple of verses here. And I want you to really think about what the apostle Paul is saying through these words. Let's start in verse 20. Paul says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Watch, for the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Watch what he says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. When you truly put your faith in Christ, that means that you can rest on the fact that death has been conquered, that it no longer has its sting. And now you are no longer a slave to sin, but you are a child of God resulting in righteousness and eternal life with him. This is what we are to understand, that we are now in him as children of God. This is who we are. This is the perspective that we are to have. Now, I have a little bit of a homework assignment for you to make sure that you're understanding all of this. And so at, th- at some point this week, I want you to go through and read the entirety of Romans chapter six, okay? And I want you to carve out a good amount of time to do this. And I want you to go through and I want you to highlight and I want you to, to take notes because this is such a huge chapter when it comes to truly understanding righteousness versus sin. And in fact, if you're in a life group, stu- you know, study it, talk about it throughout the life group. I think this will be really helpful for us, okay? Now, at this point, I want us to, to kind of slow down for a second. And I want us to ask the question that we've been consistently asking throughout the course of this series. And that is, why is, is John talking about these things at this point in his letter? In fact, when, when it comes to this set of scriptures, why, why is he going on like a tirade here about sin and righteousness and how we are to understand that and how we are to approach that? What exactly is he doing? And so to answer that, let me call you back to the context of this letter. Because we've said from the very beginning that we have to remember John is writing this to a group of believers, but also in a time where false teachers are active and prevalent. And so what we've said is you can almost imagine as John is, is writing these words that he's got this group on one side of his mind, he's got this other group on the other side of his mind. And so what he's done here is he's laid out sin and, and what that means. He's laid out the concept of righteousness and what that means. And then watch how he concludes this in verse 10. Watch, watch what he says. He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So he says, this is what sin is. This is what righteousness is. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Now, now that's a, a huge statement, right? And kind of almost as jarring when we initially read that. But here's what John is ultimately trying to do through these words. He's trying to point us to our identity. That's what he's trying to do. In fact, the word translated here as obvious um, in the original language really means to be revealed. 
So what John is doing throughout these scriptures is he's saying, hey, through your actions, through your lifestyle, through your habits, your identity is being revealed. That's, that's how we need to read these set of scriptures. And that's very important. And the reason I say that is because over and over again throughout the course of history, people have taken these words from John and they've made it all about the, the external nature of it. In other words, maybe what John is saying here is that this is the work that we have to, to put in in order to truly be born of God or to, to be his children, right? We gotta do these things. We gotta practice righteousness. We gotta refrain from sin. We gotta love other people. And then once we do these things, maybe then we've earned enough grace for ourselves to truly save us. And it's important to know that's not at all what John is trying to say. In fact, in many ways, it goes directly against what he's saying because yes, John, he is serious about practicing righteousness. And he's very serious about avoiding sin. That, that is very much true. But the entire time he's talking about these things, he's using them to point us back to our identity. He's trying to, to reveal who we truly are. In fact, it's kind of interesting. At this point in his letter, he almost stops and does kind of a, a DNA test of sorts. Like he kind of wants us to do a bit of uh, assessment on ourselves. And if you think about it, the purpose of a DNA test is not to show you who you can be. It's to show you who you are. It's to show you who you truly belong to. And that's what John is trying to point us to. So it's very important to understand that as John talks about practicing righteousness, he's not saying that's what saves us. He's saying it's a product of the fact that we have been saved. In other words, it's not about what we do externally. It's about who we are internally. That's what ultimately matters. And so I'm going to take you back to Alexander McLaren one last time, because I think he speaks so wisely on this topic. This is what he says, one of the great characteristics of Christ's teaching of morality is that it shifts, if I may so put it, the center of gravity from acts to being. That instead of repeating the parrot cry, do, 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 or do not, do not, do not, it says be, and the doing will take care of itself. Do not trouble so much about outward acts. Look after the inward nature. This is what John is trying to get us to do. He wants us to, to look inward and see what's really going on. It's not about what you're doing as much as it is about who you truly are on the inside. And so here is the, the sobering question that we have to ask ourselves. Who are we? This is the question that we're left with. Who, who exactly are we? If we were to look at our lifestyle if we were to survey our habits, if we were to take notice of the patterns of our life, what exactly are they telling us in terms of our true identity? I want you to just ponder that for a second. What exactly do my actions, do my habits show me about who I truly am? Now, here's the good news. Regardless of how you answer that, Regardless of the outcome of that assessment, the solution is the same. And that is, if you truly put your faith in Christ, you will never have to worry about your inward nature ever again. Listen to me. If you truly believe that his grace is sufficient for all of your mistakes, if you truly believe that his work has been completed, you can forever be grateful about who you truly are. Because what we learned last week is that when we do this, our identity ultimately shows us that we are children of God, that this is who we are. We, we are his, that is our identity. Everything we are, everything we do is ultimately wrapped up in him. That is who we are. 
In fact, we've been talking about this idea of practicing righteousness all day long. But as children of God, what we understand is the only reason we can even walk in this to begin with is because of him. The only way that we could ever live a righteous life is through him, which is why scripture says over and over again, do not boast in these things. Do do not take pride in these things. In fact, watch what the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 9. He says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What he has just said there is so very important. Listen, we don't have a righteousness because of our conformity to good behavior. It's not because we've been so good at adhering to all of his laws and commands. We have a righteousness from God through faith, which means the only thing that our righteousness should ever do is point us more and more to Christ cause us to worship him even more, cause us to glorify him even more. It's all about him. And in fact, as we look at our identity, this is the best thing that we can say about it, that, that, that we are all about him, that, that it's all about him, regardless of what's going on in our lives, regardless of what the future has to hold for us. It's all about him. In fact, let me read you one more scripture that maybe sums up this entire concept the best. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Watch what Paul says. He says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says, Christ became sin, despite the fact that he was perfectly blameless, perfectly spotless. He became sin on our behalf. He took all of the consequences for that so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. See, here's what I love so much about this concept. And, and, and I've said this before, but this is my favorite thing about this letter from John because what he will continue to do over and over and over again is point us to Christ. Like, like it doesn't matter what the subject is. It doesn't matter what the struggle is. It doesn't matter. He's gonna continue to point us to Christ over and over again. And what I want you to understand is that as a child of God, that's your identity, that you are in him. That's who you are. What would that mean for your life if you truly believed that, if you truly knew that? I want you to think right now about the last time you messed up. Probably won't have to go too far back in your memory. The last time you messed up, You were struggling with something, you made a mistake, you fell short. I want you to think about the difference in your reaction and your perspective between if you really believed that you were a child of God versus if you didn't. I want you to think about the difference in your daily perspective that this would bring you if everything that you were and everything that you did was ultimately found in him. Because I'm telling you right now, we, we say these types of things all the time. We read these types of things often in scripture. 
but we have a hard, hard time applying it to our daily lives. And so if you could stand with me, what I want you to do is I want you to just close your eyes right now. Just, just to focus in. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask that God would truly help you. That he would truly allow you to have a perspective of a child of God. That regardless what the rest of your day brings, regardless what the rest of the week has for you, that you could just plant your feet in the fact that that you are a child of God. I'm telling you, if we truly believe that, if we truly understood that, there's nothing, there's nothing that could knock us off course. So I want you to pray that he would help you to plant your feet in that, to, to remain secure in that. In fact, I want you to tell him, I believe I am your child. I I believe right now that I am your child, that this is how you see me, that this is how you view me, that this is the life that I get to live ahead of me. I am your child. That's who I am. It's my identity. 